0: Welcome, welcome back to Boss Cage Podcast. On today's show, it's going to be an interesting particular episode. Um, our guest today is Barat, and he has a YouTube channel called What What's It's Worth? And I want you to really think about the definition of that. It's not necessarily like the, the, the value of a car or the value of an individual person. It's like, what is your business really worth? So I'm not going to take away too much of his thunder. I'm going to let him kind of do more of the introduction to kind of tell you more about that YouTube channel. So Barat, go ahead, man. The floor is yours.
1: Chanel, thank you for having me, man. I appreciate it. Um, Yeah, I mean, I'm a valuation expert and I've been fortunate or unfortunate to have valued some of the most uh, interesting or unique assets in the world. Um, And I created my YouTube channel because I want to lift the veil, if you will. Um, and explain to people that they can just personally value anything and everything by themselves if they just know what to do and what to look for. Um, My channel is, um, uh, uh, I I guess, uh, allergic to geek talk. Uh, (laughs) um, You know, people in my world love geek talk, and I can go toe-to-toe with anybody on geek talk, but I feel that does not help people. So uh, my videos are very simple, concise, and hopefully entertaining.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, so it was so it's funny, like, you know, before I usually do podcasts, I try to do a little bit of an evaluation of, of who I'm gonna interview. And just to be kind of transparent with my listeners, is I'm coming into that space of podcasting to where people are falling into my lap. Like, for example, you reached out to me, this is the first time we are meeting, but I think this is gonna be a very mm-hmm. interesting conversation. And so, I'm looking at one of his videos, and he's talking about um economic benefits and you know the v minus b over c and I'm sure he could dive into the, the the talk shortly, but come to find out you did an evaluation on the Brooklyn Bridge is where I'm originally from, and you did an evaluation an evaluation on the Atlanta airport where I currently live so let's just talk about that journey a little bit, right like how did you even get into the opportunity to doing an evaluation on on two epic pieces of land?
1: Um, you know, it was very serendipitous. I, I, I was a young kid working for a company called American Appraisal. It was the largest and the oldest valuation firm in the world. In fact, they founded the valuation business in America, Mm -hmm. um, in 1895. Mm -hmm. And my boss one day comes up to me and says, "Barat, we got this contract to value the Brooklyn Bridge. And I was like, okay, fantastic. Who's doing it? He's like, you are. I'm like, okay. (laughs) Uh, I'm like, you know, I've never appraised a bridge in my life. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And you want me to start with the Brooklyn Bridge of all things. And he's like, yep, that's what we're going to do. And then he also says, uh, oh, by the way, I'm going to give you three guys who you got to train on the job.
0: Like, damn.
1: Okay. All right. (laughs) Um, So, you know, what are you going to do? You sort of just keep working and uh, figure it out along the way. Um, So I did. And it wasn't, uh, as I looked through the proposal, it just wasn't the Brooklyn Bridge. And I can talk to you about this because you are from New York. So you know all the details. So it included the George Washington Bridge, the Tappan Zee Bridge, Um, The Triborough Bridge, Mm -hmm. the Battery Tunnel, the Lincoln Tunnel, um, uh, Grand Central Station, um, 42nd Street uh, Times Square Station, Um, basically all the infrastructure owned by the um, New York City MTA. So, you know, men in black, when you are walking through that exhaust chamber, you know, with the fans rolling in the sky sitting here, you know, who's just bored out of his mind, you know, the battery tunnel entrance, I have appraised the battery tunnel entrance. Hmm. So uh, I've been fortunate, as I said, or unfortunate to be uh, thrown in deep end um, and to have value such assets.
0: So, I mean, at first when I heard the Brooklyn Bridge, I'm sitting there, you know, because I'm I'm 50% creative, 50% analytical, and I'm sitting there like, okay, well, there's no toll plazas on the Brooklyn Bridge. So, like, what's that? Is it like more of a historical value? Is it more like a landmark value? Like, how the hell do you get an evaluation if there's no cost associated or no revenue stream associated to it? So, I mean, you just alluded to it. I mean, like, obviously the tunnels, there's lots of value with the reoccurring revenue stream. So, just go into that a little bit more. Like, what does the evaluation process look like? I mean, what are you saying has value versus what doesn't have value?
1: That's a great question. So first question I always ask as evaluation expert is what do you need evaluation for? Mm -hmm. Right. Nobody wakes up one morning and says, hey, Chanel, I'm going to get my house value today or I'm going to have my business value today. Right. There's a need or there's a purpose for it. So the purpose for why I was valuing all the assets for the MTA was insurance. Mm. So imagine you are some big shot partner at Lloyd's of London in London, sitting there smoking a cigar and watching the Twin Towers come down. Mm. And you're going, holy shit, yeah. I might have actually have to pay out these premiums someday because they were more than happy to collect these mm-hmm. premiums. But you know when it came down to assessing the risk and understanding it, they were scared because they're like, wait a second, these infrastructure assets are underwritten by us. <laughs> so they had hired my firm to ensure that the appraisals mm-hmm. that they had on the books is the most up to date. So that's why I was the one put in charge to go around the country and to value all these large infrastructure assets, which were underwritten by Lloyds of London, many of them in New York City. Um, So that was really the purpose. So in this case, it was insurance. So, yeah, um, some of the assets had toll plazas, like Verrazano has a toll plaza. Mm -hmm. Brooklyn does not, right? Um, So when you're looking at valuation for insurance purposes, I need to consider the income from the asset, but at the same time, I don't have to consider it because it's not relevant. If the bridge were to come down today, they're gonna to have to rebuild it. And that is really the, they're looking for replacement cost of the bridge that, okay, a similar bridge, similar functionality, similar capacity, what might it cost to the underwriter to rebuild that bridge?
0: That makes perfect sense. So. We're new to each other, so I also yeah, I hold an insurance license as well in multiple states. Nice. So, so I so I'm more so on like the life insurance side. So I understand like the value add that that you're describing, and a lot of people I always kind of explain to them, understanding that with car insurance, you're paying a premium if that car was ever to get into accident, to they'll replace that car. Life insurance, you're not going to replace a life. What you're going to replace is the income. So what you're talking about is kind of like that gray area with a property. We're not going to essentially replace the income of the bridge. We're going to replace the cost of what it's going to cost us to rebuild the bridge. Is that correct?
1: Precisely. And when when I say rebuild, that does not necessarily mean they need to put in the exact same Brooklyn bridge, you know, again, you know, it, it could be a different design, but comparable functionality comparable mm-hmm. capacity right i mean you know it has to go from the same from say manhattan to queens if it goes right manhattan to what's this
0: side you know about the brooklyn bridge
1: yeah
0: it's manhattan to brooklyn
1: yeah manhattan Brooklyn. sorry yeah. <laughs> yep. yes um so uh so it has to have so it, it needs to serve the similar exact same purpose
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, you know, it can't be, uh, different, um, you know, you can't be, um, putting in a, um, a bascule bridge there. Mm -hmm. It has to have similar functionality. Sorry.
0: So, I mean, that's definitely interesting because I mean, obviously the Brooklyn bridge to your point, it's a hell of a landmark, right? Mm -hmm. When you're talking about bridges, I mean, and you can put a picture up of San Francisco, you know, that bridge, right? Brooklyn Bridge, you can see it in any picture and and identify it. Does that hold value as well? Is that a tangible value to that bridge?
1: Unfortunately, no. Um, And there are two reasons for this. If the bridge were to come down Mm -hmm. and they were to replace it, they can't use the old design because – Frankly, nobody's going to build it using the old design. You can't find construction workers or designers to build it like that. And secondly, I am not smart or qualified enough to value the historic mm value of the Brooklyn Bridge, right? I mean, yeah, it's a beautiful bridge. If I were to start looking at valuation from a historic perspective, you know, then it becomes a piece of art, right? I mean, then it's almost like, you know, trying to appraise Picasso.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: mean, I'm a, I'm an appraiser, but I don't know shit about Picasso <laughs> or appraising art, yeah. right? So that is really out of my scope of understanding.
0: Okay, hmm. yeah. So let's just time travel back, right? I mean, you're in a hell of a niche, right? It's not like a niche that you just wake up on a random Tuesday at age seven and say, Hey, I want to a value landmark properties. Like how did you even get on this journey to become what you are currently?
1: Um, it was, um, serendipitous, if you will. Mm. Um, I graduated from college, uh, with an engineering degree and didn't want anything to do with engineering. Mm. Um, but who's going to give a twenty one year old kid who has an engineering degree a job in finance, which is what I really wanted okay um but I found this one company who was looking for engineers but to work on finance projects, so somebody who can understand bridges, even though I'm not a civil engineer, I'm a mechanical engineer, but you know I understand science, I understand trusses, I understand loads, you know. Um, so they hired me and then they trained me to use my engineering background, but apply it to mm. Um And that was just serendipitous and turned out, you know, I was half good at it. So I stuck with it.
0: I think that's definitely interesting. I mean, it's very form, you know, the formula is very transparent. And I always kind of preach this as far as like being a podcaster or being a media person and finding your niche, right? So I'm a podcaster that also deals with publication. So if I was to cross-reference my niches, it'll be books and people that are creating books and authors, and it's also people that are creating podcasts and creating content. That's my cross-niche. So you did the same thing. You have an engineering background, and you went to get into finance. So you found a tunnel to figure out, how do I put both these niches together? So you became more finance, but you specialize in engineering, essentially.
1: Very much so. So say, for example, if somebody wants to... Um, you know, become a news anchor in Tampa, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: right? You can't just go and become a news anchor in Tampa. You know, you either first go to Tampa Mm -hmm. and find a job in broadcasting or some kind of media and then move your way up to news anchor or you become a news anchor or you find your way up to broadcasting in, say, Charleston, South Carolina, and then find a position in Tampa. So there's always got to be an intermediary step mm-hmm. or steps um, to get to where you want to be. So, for example, I created my YouTube channel because I really want to have a show on Netflix Nice for... Um, educating people about valuations, about businesses, about houses, about cars, about investments. Mm -hmm. So YouTube for me is a intermediary step because nobody knows who the hell I am, Mm -hmm. and nobody frankly would give a shit. Right? I mean, there's so many schmucks like me who want to be on Netflix, (laughs) but what are they doing about it? Exactly. So I decided that, all right, well, I want to be on Netflix. Well, people need to see me and like my work and see what I can create so I created the YouTube channel. Right. So if you see my YouTube channel I'm not a regular YouTuber. You know I'm not going like this going like hey guys, how you doing, you know, I, you know I don't do that shit. Yeah. Um you know if you see my episodes, you know the production value is yeah. pretty high. It's all scripted at mm-hmm. this time. Uh, But the production value is high. And my director works very hard to make sure that the feel that we're giving, even though my episodes are short, um, he ensures that the feel that we're giving is almost like this is a broadcast or streaming show. Mm -hmm. It's not a YouTube show. And people respond to that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, to your credit, I mean, I've, you know, I've went through your your YouTube channel and and looked at it. And I think one of the episodes that resonate the most with me, I think it's one of your highlight episodes about the grocery store. Mm -hmm. And to your point, like the visual of you coming out the car with your kid and you're kind of depicting the story, but you're talking to the camera. So you're kind of doing like a narrative is definitely an influential factor for that target audience, which essentially I would think the business owners like, look, I can see myself walking into this environment. And I was thinking about buying a grocery store. Well, what's the evaluation of a grocery store? And you kind of take their hands and you walk them through it while you're walking in there with your kid. So to your point, I think definitely you're taking action to get that perceived value to then have a pitch for Netflix. So I definitely commend you for that. I think it's a hell of a journey and I would like to see where where it ends up.
1: Yeah. Thank you. No, it's been, uh, it's been fun. And that's where I want to be. I want to be on Netflix or broadcast TV because I think this can really help people. People want to know what things are worth. And, you know, back in the day, people wouldn't know. Over the last 15 to 20 years, uh, Chanel, um, valuations have become a very important part of our lives right? The stocks we buy or the houses we buy or sell or the cars we buy or sell or whatever we do, the college we go to, everything has a value and a perceived value. But once you understand what valuation is and what increases value and what decreases value, it can really help your life. No different than understanding how to Deal with credit card debt or dealing with a bank or dealing with a mortgage. You know, you should know how to value things.
0: True. That's very true. Very true. So, on this journey, right now you're doing evaluations. You're not just doing a house appraisal, you're doing like multi billion dollar evaluations. Like, what's the worst experience you've encountered on this journey of evaluating such high ticket items? Um, It is scary many a times, Mm -hmm. you
1: know, that uh, nobody trains you for doing these kinds of valuations. You know, there's no go-to guru. You know, you are the guru. You have to declare yourself as the guru because you are committing to learning everything that needs to be learned to do the valuation correctly. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is a scary part. And it is also probably the most exciting part that there ain't no book. Nobody has a YouTube channel saying that how to appraise a Brooklyn Bridge. Nobody's written the book on this. There's no cliff notes, right? Whatever you uncover, whatever you discover and learn and you apply, that's
0: the go-to standard. So it is scary and exciting. Nobody's done this. Got it. so, in your business structure, right i mean obviously you have a financing a completely different understanding and more in depth understanding than most people. How is your business structured? Are you like a c corp s corp LLC? uh we're an l l. c okay
1: um and uh, uh we used to be a c corp and uh we switched to an l. l. c just because my c p a told me to, so I said, fine, I don't care <laughs> <laughs> it's just schematics as far as i'm concerned, yeah, yeah. um so, no, yeah, we're, we're an LLC. Cool.
0: So, we always hear about the 20 years, right, that's, that's perceived to be like an overnight success. You know, somebody pops up, like prime example, when you get your Netflix TV show, they're going to be like, oh, my God, who's this guy? He came out of nowhere. But in reality, this journey has took a period of time. How long have you been on your journey to your current success?
1: Um, my YouTube channel launched in August, So technically, my sort of media journey has been since August, so it's been less than six months. But um, it took me uh, time and a lot of learning and a lot of mistakes to decide to create a YouTube channel. You're a marketing person, so you'll appreciate it. I had spent about $150,000 over the last three years um, in marketing. In SEO, in conference sponsorships, in gifts, in PR. I mean, you name it, I did it. I threw money at everything. Yeah. Results, marginal. Okay. Every time I'd hire an SEO team or a PR person, they would, after, you know, they would take my retainer for the first three months. And after the first three months, when I expect results, they would come and say, Oh, you need to give us content. And I was like, Well, you should have told me that three months ago, but nevertheless, I'll start giving you content. And the more content I gave them, the more content they wanted. Um, And then they said, oh, you got to give me this type of content and that type of content. And this is what you're not doing, right? So I was like, wait a second, time out, time out. You know, I I hired different people and they all had the same issues. And at some point, I felt like I was being taken advantage of. Mm -hmm. So I figured out that marketing or all this SEO, PR, all this is bullshit. What really is what really works is content and original content and video content is the king of kings so i just invested in video content after um losing sleep for three years over stupid things and stupid investments i made and Ever since I've done this investment, I've been happier. I have been more connected to people. Now when people approach me, they have seen me, they have seen my videos, right? So they have seen me walk and talk and describe things and be authentic on TV because I do my own writing. So it comes off as authentic. Um, So when they come to me, they already feel like they know me. I mean, what else could you ask for? It's
0: true. Very true. So. With that, right, and I think this, this, that's just a good segue to my next question. If you can go back and do everything all over again, what would you do differently?
1: I would have started my YouTube channel like 10 years ago. You know, just let people see me and talk to me and just keep educating people and sort of writing blogs or you know spending money on SEO or hiring PR people. I would have just created a YouTube channel. Nobody in my business has a YouTube channel. Nobody has put in this kind of effort into marketing and into education. Mm -hmm. People are writing blogs, but let's face it, how many people really read anymore, right? If I want to learn anything, I just go to YouTube and type whatever I want to learn about, and it pops up. The only thing that doesn't pop up is if I want to learn anything about evaluation, So if I want to learn something about, hey, what is a podcast worth? No, there's no video. If I want to learn something about what is a hotel worth, there's no video. If I want to learn something about what's an e-commerce company worth, there's no video except for mine.
0: Hmm. Hmm. So have you dealt with any, like, I guess, franchises in a sense, right? Because, I mean, you're talking about podcasting, and that made me think about, like, I had a conversation with somebody that kind of offered to essentially franchise the Boston Cage podcast, so diving into that, like where would you start in evaluating a podcast in that market?
1: See, at the end of the
0: day, it really mm-hmm.
1: depends on the uh, the quality of the content mm-hmm. and the um, recurring audience. Mm-hmm. If you have... Um, set audience that are your fans and they listen to you day in day out mm-hmm. that's what's valuable hmm. if you have one show that all of a sudden you have a million downloads and the next show you have you know a thousand downloads again mm-hmm. that's not valuable so seth rogan uh, seth rogan or joe rogan what's his name joe 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 rogan um he just sold his podcast to Spotify for 100 million mm-hmm. because he's got um avid listeners people who listen to him every day um that's really the quality that's really uh what attracts people so um so my whole goal is to build an audience using youtube channel Mm -hmm. so that people can see me and see my work and see my creativity Mm -hmm. and using that as a launching pad uh, to get into broadcast or streaming media.
0: Hmm. So it seems like you have a very big handle on general business and you have like a hustle mentality. Is that something that was ingrained in you as a child? Did you grow up in an entrepreneurial family? Oh, very much
1: so. Very much so. You know, my father was a entrepreneur. He was a businessman. My grandfather, everybody in my in my family, is an entrepreneur, hmm. um, and they've been uh, like this for a long time. Except my brother and I, we are not. Except well, I am, um, but uh, back in the day, I wasn't. I started my career as a regular nine to fiver, hmm. uh, and I and I and my brother did too. And that was totally cool because. Um, You know, you got to make your mistakes somewhere first, learn from good bosses, and then go out on your own. You know, people who just go out in entrepreneurship right off the bat, I don't know if that's the smartest thing to do.
0: Hmm. Okay. So on this journey of your current entrepreneurial endeavors, right, life happens. So how do you juggle your current hustle and your work life with your family life?
1: Carefully. You know, I, um, I've had to force myself to become a um, person of a routine yeah. um, because unless you have a routine, you can't do anything um i have to write i have to respond to clients i have to lead my team i have to talk to my editing team i have to talk to my producer and my director um i have to deal with my clients i have to attend client meetings i have to attend networking events i have to spend time with my kids um so everything takes time everything um you know i have time slots Every day, hour by hour, okay, this is my time slot for this. This is my time slot for that. Back in the day, I would be sitting on my email and wasting my all day, and it'd be like, wait a second, I'm working, but I don't really do anything today. Yeah. Okay. So, and then this happens with most of us, and it still happens with me sometimes. Mm. But now what I've done is I, stick with these time slots I don't spend too much time on LinkedIn or on Facebook or just responding to emails nowadays I respond to emails in the morning once I'm there because you have emails from overnight so I respond to them and then I switch off my email I respond to them in the afternoon and in the afternoon I have say 50 emails I just go from bottom up I respond to all of them and then I'm done And if somebody doesn't like it, somebody, you know, sometimes nowadays people get pissed off when you don't respond to their email within an hour or two hours. I'm like, well, I guess we're not going to be doing business together. Are we?
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I think that's, um, I just finished reading um, deep work and they were talking about that particular element about if you're receiving an email from somebody, they should make that email congruent and easy enough for you to respond back. And an example with that would be, Hey, do you have time for a meeting today? Well, I don't know. Why don't you give me some time options so I could, instead of me doing the work, looking for the time slots, say, hey, do you have an availability between three and four o'clock? That slims it down for me to say yes or no. And I can easily respond versus me having to stop, leave my email, look at my calendar, and then try to figure out times for you. So to your point, it's kind of getting into the deep work mentality. You have to kind of Turn things off so you can get to the work, and then turn them on afterwards. So diving into that a little bit more, right? You you saying you have routines? What does your morning routines look like?
1: Um, most days, <coughs> my call start at four thirty a.m. So okay. I live on the West Coast. You know, West Coast people usually start early because East Coast people are already three hours ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, I. Wake up at 4 o'clock, I shower, shave, and I am on my phone or on Zoom by 4.30. Mm -hmm. I have back-to-back calls from 4.30 till 9 o'clock. I take a break at 9 o'clock, and from 9 to 11.30 is my creative time. Mm -hmm. Um, So I sit down and I write or I, you know, uh, think about topics for new shows and then I have a call with my production team around 11 30 and then I have uh, from 12 to 3 is my time for meetings and the reason I set up 12 to 3 time for meetings is because I always used to feel so sleepy and lethargic after lunch yeah. I said you know what fuck it I'm just going to set that time for meetings so I got nowhere to hide so you know, I just I just sort of bullied myself into doing meetings from twelve to three. So even if I'm sleepy, I gotta pretend to be active.
0: Got it. Got it.
1: Um, so podcasting I do during my creative time. So this is my creative time. So I get to spend that time with you right now.
0: Got it. I definitely I definitely appreciate that. So in that journey, right, I, I always ask this question because part of your creative time and then on your journey you've had opportunities to learn multiple different things. And I would assume, you know, cause you're, you're, you're well-spoken. I would think that you've read many books on that journey and you probably have many books that you're probably reading currently right now. And because of that, I've created a book club for listeners of this podcast. So my question is, what books did you read to help you get to where you are? What books are you currently reading and what books do you want to recommend? So
1: t- to be very honest, I am not a avid reader mm-hmm. and it, it sucks to be saying this because it's mm-hmm. not sexy, right? Everybody says, oh, I read so many books and, you know, the mm-hmm. successful people read books. Yeah. You know, I, 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 read books. Um, like the last book I read was this one and I thought this was excruciatingly boring. The new great depression by Jim, uh, Rickard, yeah. um, good book, um, But frankly, I think the authors make it very, very boring nowadays. They don't know how to write. They're good at their subject, but they're terrible writers. They really need to work on their writing craft. Um, So if I frankly want to learn anything, Chanel, I go to YouTube. I really do. I would rather watch something on YouTube um, than read about it because I feel YouTube is visual um i always learn more when it's visual and that's why i created a channel i had an option to write a book i could have written a book i can write a book right now i already have the material Hmm. all i gotta do is compile it you know you know a week or two of work Hmm. uh but i'm not going to do that because i think it's boring who the hell wants to read a book it's boring Hmm. um you know i'd rather just watch a youtube channel and i encourage everybody to do the same thing but Coming back to your question, the books that have inspired me um, have been actually this one. Oh, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? So I am, I am a uh, kook. Uh, here, this one. this is one of my favorite books: Sacred Geometry um and deciphering the code by stephen skinner and this one they talk about the sun and the moon and the stars and the earth and how animals living things and you know geometry is all connected and how it it is all um sort of god's secret plan or mother nature's secret plan fabulous book if you ever get a chance
0: yeah yeah i'll definitely um take a look at that I think it's definitely um, just going back to, to what you said. And to your point, for the longest, I hated reading books. And then I got to the point to where I started listening to more audiobooks and watching videos. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like that, that point now to where how could make the content, make the content a little bit more richer? And I could still, if I want to multitask or if I just want to kind of lay back and listen to something. So I, I definitely think that you're, you're in the right direction, in the right space as far as how could we make that content a little bit richer?
1: For example, your podcasting, you think the work, your body of work is anything less than a book?
0: Hell no. No, no. no. But I, I dibble well in both, right? So for me, it's yeah. like I, I have, I've published seven books and I also have a podcast and I'm working on the integration between it. Because some people, what I've just learned and in, in been into marketing, you can't appease everyone, but you can segmentate. So I yeah. have some people that are avid readers that want a physical book. They want to crack the spine, smell the glue. Some people, they don't have time for that. They want to listen to audio. And some people just want to, you know, if they're traveling or whatever, they want to visually see what you look like, hear you, see your body action, see your, your language, you know, see the way you say particular things, much like your videos. Um, one thing I
1: would have to say that writing a book gives you instant credibility. So many people I know who are speakers or who are authors or who are business coaches, they just end up writing a book because they say, you know, people respect you more. People think that you know what the hell you're talking about if you've written a book, even though it might have sold like four copies on Amazon. <laughs> you know, you still get the, oh, you know, a, a published author, mm-hmm. you know, title, uh, which frankly, I couldn't care for. Mm-hmm. you know i don't know i'm saying that right now but maybe you know six months from now you'll be you know see me promoting a book <laughs> yeah,
0: but, yeah, yeah. Well, but I mean, right now that, that's may not come what with i'm your looking Netflix to do deal, right that may come with your nef- Netflix that, contract so
1: they might uh, they might make it uh prerequisite that hey just write a damn book before you get on our show fine mm-hmm. i already have the material
0: <laughs> very interesting so where do you see yourself in 20 years from now
1: uh, 20 years from now, um, I want to be a, a running a school. Hmm. Um, after my Netflix deal, I want to be running a school um, okay. because uh, I think I'm an educator at heart.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, and I think the education system has left a lot to be desired. Um, I would like to change that. And instead of just bitching about it, I'm going to do something about it. Hmm.
0: I definitely, I I can definitely see you do that. Just by watching your YouTube videos, you're you're like you—you have a certain style of elegance to the way you're delivering that content. So I think that's that's what's going to take you a lot farther than I think that you could even imagine, right? I mean, you're giving content, but you're giving such a value add, and you're holding the hands of your listeners step by step by step. Which is a is a great foundation for teaching. So, thank you. Uh, thank you. Yeah, definitely. So, what tools do you use in your industry that you would not be able to do without, like software, for example?
1: Oh, I have uh, tried to. Uh use minimum software personally
0: mm-hmm.
1: um my team uses different software mm-hmm. but i am i'm more of a people person mm-hmm. so i sort of engage with my team one on one what works for the software so to speak that works for me is my routine and consistency so i speak to my team every day mm. we have daily scrum calls we see exactly what's happening because you know people can make mistakes Once they might miss something once or twice, or, you know, they might not get it once or twice. But if you're talking to them every day, and you're being polite, and you're being kind, and you're generous, they see that they recognize that, and they respond to it. I've made this mistake in the past where, you know, I would talk to my team once a week and I think that's bullshit. I think you got to talk to them every day. Now, you don't have to grill them every day. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be a two-hour long meeting where everybody's going like, holy Jesus yeah. Christ, I got to spend two hours with this guy again. Mm-hmm. No, it can be anywhere from 10 minutes, 15 minutes to a half hour, depending on yeah. whatever needs to be talked about. But you got to touch on it every day. Every day. Hmm. That's my software.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Definitely Interesting. So let's say I'm 36 years old, I'm working for some equity firm, and I, I'm deciding I want to kind of step out on my own and I'm looking for something. What words of wisdom would you give me to influence me to continue on my entrepreneurial journey?
1: Um, whatever time you think it's going to take you to break even or how much ever money you think you need to break even.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Estimate the maximum you can, right? So, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So if you think it's going to take you six months to break even, are you really sure six months is the maximum time you can think of? It probably is going to be nine to 10 months. And if you say it's nine to 10 months, it's not going to be nine to 10 months, just double that. It's going to take you 20, 22 months. So whatever is the highest number you can come up with to estimate your time to break even, double it because Mm -hmm. it always does. Um, I have thought it's going to take me a year to break even. Mm -hmm. My company broke even on the 24th month. Um, Usually companies, I, I knew this going in that, you know, usually it takes 24 to 30 months for companies to break even, but I was young and stupid and ambitious. I said, oh, I can make it happen in 12 months. No way. Hmm. You know, took me twenty-four months.
0: Okay, okay. So, how can people find you online? I mean, obviously, I think right now your 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 funnel starts with your YouTube channel. So, what's your YouTube channel? Your website, your Facebook account, so forth and so forth. Best way to reach to
1: me is through my YouTube channel. Yeah, my YouTube channel has my email, and if you reach out to me, if you have a question, I'd be happy to answer it for you. I enjoy educating people uh, about valuations.
0: Yeah, and the YouTube channel is at uh, what's it worth.
1: What's Correct. it worth? And uh, well, yeah, just so just go to YouTube. Put what's it worth, barat, It'll pop up. There aren't too many barats on YouTube.
0: This is right. It's, it's funny that, that, that you brought up that name, right? And and it's going back to like the episode that I had with Damon. And before the show, we was talking about like how our names kind of throw people off. So like Damon. People always thought of his name, and I was like, Chanel to Chanel, and i get Chantel, Shinobi, and everything else. So a couple times on this show, you, you said my name, like, Chanel, and I was just kind of like, and I'm smiling internally, but I, I want you to get that that thought across, but I was just like, what is a good opportunity to, to tell you that it's Chanel, and it's kind of Sorry. like, no, 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 I mean, it, it's, it's funny, because it's, it's one of those things, like, when you hear someone's name it takes a while for you to kind of understand like the, the the syllables of a name, like your name. I literally was like, how do I say your name? And then trying to figure out how do you say your name? So this is a, like a good example of when you meet someone for the first time, you kind of have to kind of go through these things to kind of figure out. So moving forward, I think both of us are going to understand each other's name. Right. I know how to say your name. You know how to say my name. And then moving forward, we have an opportunity to, if I decide to send somebody to your direction, I'm not going to, mess up your name in in, in that instance right
1: (laughs) oh you got my name right uh right off the bat
0: yeah but it's part of podcasting right it's part of interviewing people because a lot of times people will be like wonder why i don't say someone's last name because i've learned that a lot of times last names are harder than first names so i always Mm -hmm. use everyone by first name just because even though after they told me their last name i still probably (laughs) would butcher their last name Yes, (laughs) it's one of those those tricks of the trade so i mean going into the bonus round right um if you could spend 24 hours with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why?
1: No question in my mind, has to be Teddy Roosevelt. Um he was one of the greatest presidents we ever had. He gave us the national parks. He gave us the Panama Canal. Um uh you know, he uh ended the war between Russia and Japan. Um, we owe him a lot of debt. Hmm. And, uh, you know, he was a man's man. He was a hunter. He was a hmm. uh, rancher. I would like to uh, uh, spend just 24 hours with him just listening to stories.
0: I think that, that that's a testament to like your legacy, right? You're in engineering, so you could see the value. And most people may see Teddy and may see him for totally different things. But the fact that you went into the infrastructure that he's developed, from the architectural standpoint is a hell of an insightful thing that you know I think the average person would have just blown past and they wouldn't have realized it so i definitely i I think that's an insightful answer I definitely appreciate that answer um thank you um uh, going into my last question, if you could be a superhero, who would you be and why
1: um you know, <laughs> I've recently seen this movie, Ant-Man, you've seen it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's actually a pretty cool production. I used to, when I was a kid, I used to dream about having, you know, I used to play with those hot wheel cars. I would always dream about being able to get inside that car, but still go 80 miles an hour and zip through everywhere and nobody be able to see you. Hmm. Um, and for me, Ant-Man was, holy crap, that's the guy I wanted to be. So hmm. yeah, Ant-Man would be cool, even though it's a terrible name. But uh, I like the premise of it.
0: Cool. And I think you're also like a very, I wouldn't say tech guy, but you understand the science. I think you probably like the science part of it as well, too. Mm -hmm. That's definitely good. So, I mean, obviously, at the end, end of the podcast, I always give the opportunity, whoever I'm interviewing, opportunity to interview me. I mean, during this journey of this conversation, and this is the first time we're meeting, you may or may not have questions that have come up. So, the microphone is yours. Feel free to ask me any question you may have.
1: You know, when I reached to you, I was most intrigued by the name of your podcast, Mm -hmm. Boss Uncaged. Mm -hmm. Tell me the story behind it.
0: So Boss Uncaged is one of the things, like like my other company that I own is called Cerebral 360. And there's a whole story behind that in cerebral, intellect, mind, blah, 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 blah. But nobody knows how to spell that, right? Kind of going back to like the (laughs) name. No. Trying to spell cerebral is kind of like, uh, phonetically, it it just, it becomes difficult. So that was like, you know, who's my real audience? Who am I really talking to? Well, I'm talking to the easiest four-letter word I can think about, Mm -hmm. bosses, right? Mm -hmm. Boss symbolizes entrepreneurs, startups, small business owners. All of those multiple levels of letters are all condensed into four letters, boss. That's Mm -hmm. the first part. The second part is being uncaged. Part of my audience is people that are wanting to leave corporate America, people that are wanting to make the leap. So they are behind bars currently right now. So in becoming a boss, they have to become uncaged. They have to break out the the everyday nine to five situation, take a leap of faith. So that's the combination of the two, being a boss and being uncaged. So that's why I named it. I was like, okay, both of these words are very simple words, and they have a lot of meaning, and they could define a lot of content behind them.
1: It's uh, pretty badass. I like it. And I'm uh, most surprised the domain name was available. Um, Because I don't think that's a domain name that could be so easily available unless you bought it a long time ago. Um,
0: Within two to three years.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm surprised you found it. But no, it's a great name. It's cool. It's different. Yet at the same time, it points in the right direction. Mm -hmm. You know, um, same way with my name, you know, what's it worth? Like, okay, w- what? What's it worth? Oh, okay.
0: So once people start getting it, it's like, oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. It's self-defined. I mean, I think your your brand is definitely a self-defined name because, I mean, your episodes start off right away. It's kind of like, you want to know the valuation of, of airport? Here it is. You want to know the valuation of, of supermarket? And you're going right into the definition of your title right into your topic. I am
1: a no bullshit kind of person and nobody wants to hear me yap on the phone or listen on <laughs> YouTube. Like, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm cool and all, but I'm no Dolly Parton and I know that. So I just get right to it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you have any other questions, this could be the time. If not, then I definitely appreciate your time coming on the show today.
1: It was great talking to you Chanel. Um, really appreciate you having me.
0: Yeah, I definitely appreciate. It. I think you've given our listeners some insight and it's always an opportunity for me to understand that there's a million different ways to make money and there's a different opportunity always right around the corner. And until someone kind of hears what you do, they may not realize that that's an opportunity for them to be coming on case boss themselves into your space. Yeah, very much. So, all right. SA grant over and out. Or drop me your thoughts via a call or text at 762 233 BOSS. That's 762 233 2677. I would love to hear from you. Remember, to become a Boss and Cage, you have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off. Listeners of Boss and Cage are invited to download a free copy of our host, S.A. Grant's insightful ebook. Become an Uncaged Trailblazer. Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. Download now at www.bossuncaged.com forward slash free book.